Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming, and welcome to my shelves. My shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are, to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had. Sort of portals, if you will, to a specific time and place. And the inspiration for stories and memories and musings. Here's my Joe 90 action figure. People think that I had that from my childhood, but I actually stole it from the set of The High Life, the sitcom that I wrote with my friend Forbes Masson, in which we featured Joe 90 quite heavily in one episode. Here's a random jar of WD-40. I have no idea what that's doing there. Today I'm talking to Rosario Dawson. Yo, Rosario, Spike. <laughs> Twenty-three years ago, today <laughs> the world got to meet the original Lala. Welcome, <laughs> <laughs> bienvenue. Welcome. Rosario Dawson shot to fame in 1995 when she appeared in Larry Clark's film. Kids, And since then, she has been a powerhouse on screens big and small. She's known for Sin City, Rent, Jessica Jones, you name it, she's been in it. Really, her resume is absolutely incredible. But more importantly, I think, both to me and to her, is her activism. She has a huge involvement with the Lower East Side Girls Club in New York City and also has worked with Global Cool, Voto Latino, P-Flag, Amnesty International... She is a kind and compassionate human being. I just love her. And we first worked together uh, in 2000 on a movie. And it wasn't for 19 years that we worked together again, although we were friends and we saw each other a lot. When we, in 2019, we appeared in this uh, series called Briar Patch. But it is actually from the first time we worked together uh, that the uh, item from Alan Cumming Shelves that we're going to talk about today uh, refers. It is... <laughs> A piece of merch from that movie. Mm-hmm. Can you guess? Rosario, the thing from Alan Cumming Shelves that I'm holding in my hand, in my sweaty hand, is a <laughs> pair of ears, of juicy uh, little leopard skin ears. You have them? A uh, little cute little thing. I have a pair. I have a pair of the action. It's still got the little juicy label on the you know it's still got the little bit of cardboard on it so oh. I've never I've never used them can you imagine oh that's yeah, so I think sweet. it must have been like you know at the premiere or something they, they gave us them so yeah I've still got them I'm hoping to have some in some box somewhere that I just haven't remembered I have with you know awesome memorabilia in it because yeah. I haven't been yeah. able to find any they're so fantastic I have such fond memories of making that film and also like I have such fond memories of you being this little like a baby. I remember you just like you turned 21 during that film, didn't you? Yeah, I had turned 21 just before 
Um, I remember because I, I celebrated in New York and in um, Montreal, which I had been filming in just before because we shot Joe's and the Pussycats in Vancouver. So I ended up spending like a year uh-huh. in Canada because I had just done The Adventures of Pluto Nash <laughs> with Eddie Murphy. Oh, gosh. Remember that? Yes. Joey Pantoliano was on that. Oh, wow. so Joey Pants taught me how to smoke a cigar. Joey so I'll never Pants. forget. He took me to a whiskey bar. <laughs> And she was like, you're 21. You should have a whiskey and a, and a cigar. And then I went like four <laughs> days later straight to Vancouver to work with all of you. And it must have been, I was thinking about it, like the three of you, you and Tara and Rachel were all so young. And, and it must have been a lot of pressure, like the three of you being the leads of a big studio picture. I mean, I was, again, coming off of that other project with all of these people. I mean, it was like Pam Greer and Eddie Murphy and just like all these folks. And then I come on set and it's you who I adore, Parker mm-hmm. Posey, who I'm obsessed with. And then Tara and Rachel, who are like the biggest stars in the world at the moment. Um, and it was just so amazing that we were able to just connect and kind of disappear into each other and in, yeah. in this hotel and in this project and when yeah. i look back on the movie i'm 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 like why did we just feel like we were just having so much fun together yeah. and it's like yeah we had all these great scripted scenes but a lot of it was just these like montage shots love montages they love a montage in that videos. film yes love a montage in that film and so we really actually honestly were just filmed hanging out and goofing around like all yes. day every day a lot of that and i think it's another level as to why it was so special cuz we were just reveling and just being together and having these great roles with awesome directors and writers and yeah and just like this really cool idea. It's also a lot of, there was a sort of improvisation, but within a structure, which I really like. I like it. I like to have structured improvisation. Like, you, you know, you've got sort of some things, you know, you're going for. Like I was, I was thinking about the, 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 <laughs> the stuff of me and Parker when we we're having that sort of, you know, we're trying to be, do evil laughs with each other in that scene. And, and so we're like <laughs> ch- choking on M&Ms or something. <laughs> That was incredible. And I, I, I'm so with you on that because we were able to do that and play like that on set, I think, because of our personalities being that kind of gregarious, demonstrative, yes yeah. and kind of stuff. But to also have that off the off set, like immediately you say that. And I just remember when we all were in Jeff Goldblum's room <laughs> and doing that crazy <laughs> improv with the knife in the middle of the table. Oh, what was that again? The knife. <laughs> right. What was that? Do you remember? I remember we were all like, let's all meet in Jeff's room. It was you, me, Parker and Jeff. And I came downstairs. He was like playing piano by himself. Yes, he had a piano and in his I, suite. That's right. He had a piano in his suite. It was amazing. And then you all came in and we played this improv where we had a knife that we put in the center of a round table and someone had to catch each other's eye. And if you did and you reached for the knife and you got it, that person who you caught eyes with had to stop you before you stabbed yourself. Oh my and God. That, when you, when you, before you stabbed yourself, if they stopped you, you'd go, <laughs> why'd you stop me? <laughs> and that was it. We just kept doing this like performance of why did you stop me over and over again with this um, knife in the middle of this hotel. With, I just remember it was like one of the surrealist, most awesome. I can't, I love that you almost don't remember it, but it was like a pivotal moment. For I mean, me. It was so crazy. I can't believe I forgot it. And was this like a game that Jeff had made up? 
I think so. Like, I don't know. I, I, I remember the kind of origin came from, we were talking about like theater or just acting exercises. And this Hilarious. exercise was like, why'd oh you stop God. me? Like we could, we did it in some, why'd you stop me? Like we did it in so many different ways oh of how God, you could say that sounds- one line of how tragic and hilarious and terrible. And that sounds just I mean, so monstrous. So like if you could see us doing that, like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like and- 21, like this is the best night of my yeah. life. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Actors hang out and improvise with knives. I'm- <laughs> I was like, I love this posse. But I remember, because I, I remember a bit being a bit sort of like protective of you. I thought, oh, you know, I don't want <laughs> Jeff to get his paws onto Rosario, it's, little Rosario. It's so funny because, you know, my first film I did was this movie Kids. And, you know, I'm so, um, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm really sexually aggressive, I will say. Yes, um, and indeed. promiscuous um, as as a as a young kid, and that, that's and how what old were you in that? From. But whenever I was fifteen when I did that, but whenever Gosh. people actually meet me, they're like, "Oh, you're adorable!" <laughs> like we need yeah. to we need to protect you. Like I was, no, I grew totally. up in New York, but I was like, and I was a latchkey kid, but I had to stay home. I wasn't just like roaming them streets. I had yeah. a whole lock and key on me because my mom was a you know single. Well, she wasn't single, but she was single mom for for that first year before she married my my dad who raising as his own but you know she was a teenage mom so she was just always like lock and key you know so i would just i would revel in these experiences especially when we would be on location and so that experience whenever i see you i hear your voice whenever i see anything about josie the pussycats when we got to work together again on briar patch yes i got you on that green juice (laughs) oh my god i love that stuff that was nuts. The I remember, chlorophyll that was, water. That was so well because it was because um, we're in uh, Albuquerque and you had to do that sort of um, for the for the altitude, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so rough. That altitude would just yeah. give me a headache and just make it me nauseous. It was all super day intense, but it made your made your poop crazy colors. Green, yeah. <laughs> yes. Crazy and you green. made that video online that was like. <laughs> Boris Johnson, PM, or something like that. Not cool. Um, <laughs> drinking chlorophyll water. It makes your poop green. Very cool. <laughs> and just like whenever I see and I can make you laugh and I have that, just I've been a huge fan of yours for so long. And oh. I've been in this industry. As long as I've been in this industry, it's like, it Bizarre. still is this Likewise. magical place that I would disappear to because I wasn't allowed to go out very much. So like disappearing yeah. into story was everything. And people who are great with story, people who can improv with story and play with story and just make it magical in front of you. And to have witnessed that this, as a fan of your work and then in person, it's always just the most delightful thing. And it just makes me oh. so grateful. I'm drinking from, I'm drinking Scottish tea. I have a cup that says blessed and grateful. (laughs) Yes. And just feeling that that very much now. It is. How do you like your tea? Because I know some people, especially like, you know, in England, people are like, you have to put the milk in first. Oh, everyone's like, it was so funny. I was listening to some old tapes uh, of some stuff I'd done centuries Uh ago when we, when, when we, it was like a show I did with a double act called Victor and Barry and we did it was a thing called scones and tea with V&B me and my friend did this thing and we would like go to people and have cups of tea and it's so funny the people who say oh put the milk in first and they're really anal about the milk <laughs> in first thing and I, I, I take I just like my street tea strong and black that's nice. how I like it that's how I like it that's how I roll that's how you like it 
I want to talk to you a bit more about your. So you're you're 15, and were you like mm-hmm. sitting on your stoop or something? And 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 <laughs> Laddie Clark saw you and said, "Come and be in this." Is that what happened? It's like a it's like a yeah, movie. kind of. Yeah, I'll do the shorter kind of version of it. But my dad had told me to go downstairs and get discovered because they were literally filming <laughs> a, a like a commercial on the block. Well, he actually um, said that for Vibe magazine. Yeah, and they were shooting a commercial for Vibe magazine, and they were they needed dancers for it. And he, you know, I, he would catch me, and my mom would catch me dancing around in the living room, vacuuming the same spot over and over again. <laughs> um, you know, blasting my music and he just knew how much I love to dance. So he was like, go downstairs, get discovered. And I went downstairs and then they did actually ask me to be in the music video. I danced as like a silhouette um, in this commercial. But then I had seen this guy who was working as like a gaffer on this, on, on the commercial. And I thought he was really cute. I was like 15. Um, so I just hung out the whole weekend, kind of just like staring at him and kind of like just being nosy about the whole process because they blocked off the street. And this is and in the East Village. And I was talking Village. to this guy. This is the East Village. And this guy was asking for um, if there was any housing in, in our building because um, it, it's a squad and it was a notorious squad. I grew up in an mm. abandoned building. Mm. And he was asking if there were any available spaces and there weren't any. And he kind of, you know, he had that like long hair and robes and blue eyes and just like the, the you know, the stereotypical depiction of Jesus. That's probably not really true. <laughs> yeah. um, and he, I just thought it was funny that Jesus was asking me for a place and I didn't have a new room. Like, and, I <laughs> no was room like and, he, and I was like, I'm so sorry. And like, he was, he st- he'd start laughing and I couldn't hear him and I'd start laughing. And then I was like, I'm humoring Jesus. This is hilarious. I guffawed. <laughs> I guffawed. And this whole group of people turned and looked at me. And I thought I was in trouble because I was making too much noise for this commercial, but it was actually Harmony Corinne who Mm. wrote Kids and Larry Mm. Clark and our DP and a bunch of their crew who were scouting locations for kids. And he came, they came running up to me going, Oh my God, you're the girl I wrote for our film. You have to come in for our film for Ruby. And so they gave me their information so I could, I could audition. Um, I called my dad and my dad brought me in and they had a real production office and everything. Cause of course it was like kind of skeevy. These guys are like, Hey, you want to be in this movie? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like dad. (laughs) Um, But you know, I go to this audition. Larry thinks dad, my dad is my boyfriend. Um, Oh my God. So there was a lot of very weird energies at times. um, So so that was in a crazy weekend and you, all of a sudden you're in a, commercial and you get an audition for a big movie in one weekend and you meet Jesus. And I start a career, you know, like, and that's why it was weird because it was like, you know, I suddenly was being treated as this adult, you know, um, Mm. to a degree. And my mom, my parents were like, go ahead to the, you know, all the rehearsals by yourself. I got my bike stolen. (laughs) It was like, it was a really (laughs) intense experience. And then the money that we got from it, um, was like a thousand dollars I got paid for working like four days. Um, we ended up going on vacation to Texas where my dad was raised and he went, uh. he was raised in Lubbock, Texas. And then my mom decided that she wanted to live there. So my grandmother retiring just at that moment from the world trade center gave her a little bit of money. We put a, a money down on a house and I moved to Texas that wow. same summer. I did a movie Gosh. and then I moved to Texas. It was like, my head was spinning and then a year later, they contacted me going, where the hell are you? We've been trying to get in contact with you. This movie we brought to Sundance and it's going to be something and you should come out for the premiere. 
Um, and then I moved back to New York and finished school by myself and got roommates. And I just did I went full in into acting. I went back to the same building. We had had our uh, apartment still. Is in that the that squat, one on um, so. on um, the corner of Avenue B and um, 13th? So 13th. It's in the yeah. Lower East Side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alphabet City, yo. Yo, baby. Right next to Campos. It's changed so much. And the building now is, you know, that you have came in and legal and the people own their apartments. And mm. it's been this whole thing. I was able to get everybody a lawyer and now they own, own, own their apartments after 20 some odd years. They have housing security. It's That's great. It's a tremendous story. And all because I got, all because I got discovered on that stoop that my parents and like people in that building made for me. Because when I was coming home from school, it felt really dangerous and I needed to be on a platform to come upstairs. Isn't that what amazing? <laughs> what, what, they made you a stoop? Because I remember we had to go into the basement. Like the building had been abandoned for years and a few folks had broke into it from going and we used to have to enter through the basement. And uh -huh. it was just dangerous. I, was, I would get accosted on the way in sometimes being a latchkey kid by myself and it was scary. And so they built this stoop so that we, it could be open and it had a gate so we could be safe to go upstairs and there was a bench there and people could hang out. And it was specifically because uh, I got accosted that they built this fence that I literally was the platform I was spotted on and discovered on. Wow. I just amazing. think about all the people who were like all the little decisions and all the little and things the that chance. had to be. <laughs> all the chances that made it possible. Yeah. And so when you came back, you came back and you you were living, but you were living with like a bunch of your friends that you'd lived with. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and then you finished school and then like uh, what uh, kids came out and, and then it just, did it just start immediately? No, he, I got, he got game in my senior year. Ah. Um, and that was Spike Lee movie. Spike mm. made me audition for it a gazillion times. And I read against a bunch of different, you know, Allen Iverson, like different basketball players as he was trying to figure out who his Jesus Shuttlesworth would be. Uh -huh. And then I got that role. And because of that, like kids, I got an agent. Um, yeah. and I started getting representation going on auditions. And so that's how I got the audition for He Got Game. And then from He Got Game, I got my manager who I'm still with, Evan Haney, um, 23 mm. years later. And I know specifically off my top of my head, it's 23 years because Spike just called me like two weeks ago to be like, yo, Rosario, it's Spike. 23 <laughs> years ago, today, the world got to meet the original Lala. <laughs> and I got to play one of the most amazing characters, Lala Bonilla, in that movie. And it like it set me fun. off because... People thought I was that street kid in kids, even though I very much wasn't. It was like a mm. pre-calculus, calculus tutor. I didn't lose my virginity till I was 20. I was a total nerd. And, um, but they thought I was this character. And because all of us had been um, non-actors and kids. Like right. the whole, like Harmony was 19 when he wrote it. Oh my God. Larry was a photographer and it was his first time directing. Every actor in it were actual skateboarders and neighborhood kids and people right. who just like they knew and friends. So, you know, they were picking people off the street. This was never supposed to go anywhere, you know? Um, yeah. And then when I got, he got game. Um, it, it opened up so many more doors for me to people recognize that, that, um, you know, I was taking this path seriously and that, and that I had some talent in this space. It was, it was incredible. I was reading this afternoon in my extensive research for this interview, Rosario, um, <laughs> that, uh, about, <laughs> something that I didn't know about you, but 
You wow. did a song with Prince. Yeah. You did that before Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was because of He Got Game. He Got Game came out in uh, Denzel Washington movie, you know, and Spike Lee. And yeah. and so it got, you know, put me in a different kind of space. And so my story got out more. And right. um, so Prince heard about it and he had he had want he was doing his 1999 remix album. Um, and he wanted, he had this poem that he had written, but he didn't feel like he should be the voice to say it. So he called me out of the blue when I was 19 to tell me he thought I was a voice of a generation. Like the phone rings and the phone rings and it's Prince. (laughs) And did he say, hello, it's Prince? I totally freaked out. I remember calling, um, Amir, um, Questlove afterwards to just freak out because I knew they were friends and that he thought it was cool. But we still were like, oh, my God, you know, like it's just holy tish. You know, it's did, did he did he say hello, it's Prince? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I can't remember if I'd had some kind of pre-call or something in the expectation. Um, but, yeah, he called me and his his, his amazingly gentle and present resonant he's like his voice is so rich you know like it just it encompasses Mm. so much energy you know he puts so much energy into what he loves and his passion and discovery and learning and growing and you just felt it there's only like a few people who i've spoken to who resonate in that way just speaking to them um and he's one of them and you could just hear it like just this 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 richness over the phone you know and just talking about this project he was so passionate about and this poem he'd written, and he felt like it was very specific and needed to be spoken by someone he felt could speak to the generation. And so he said he thought I could, I was a voice of a generation, oh voice of the generation, Whoa. and that I needed to read this. And so he invited me to Paisley Park um, <gasps> to record it. How exciting. What was that like? <laughs> so, of course, I signed an NDA, which I never respected whatsoever because i was like (laughs) i'm telling everybody this experience um but you know i remember all i one of the things i'll never forget was getting picked up by this limo at the airport and it had like white shag carpeting and of course i'd worn like all black to try to be cool um and i by the time i got out of that limo to say hi to him i was covered in shag carpeting because of course i was like nosily looking into every crevice of this thing. it was so obvious he comes in he's just like standing there and he just kind of like looked me over and was like uh-huh let's get inside you're covered in white fluff <laughs> yeah, like, so not conspicuous at all <laughs> Hello, I'm Sam Walker. I've spent the last few months talking to this guy. I'm a hunter. It's what I do. He's called KC. Our rules of engagement are pretty simple. If we have to pull a trigger on one person, they're all going to go. He's an American vigilante. And there is one of the biggest men I've ever seen. And he's got a knife in his hand. He rescues kidnapped children. There's no feeling in the world like putting a child back in the arms of its parents. By any means necessary. Well, it's ugly. You want me to make sure I don't hurt anybody? He scares me. And he kind of looked at me and I said, I swear to God, I said, if you do anything other than what I told you to do, I said, I'm going to kill you right here. And he might scare you. About got tears in your eyes right now just thinking about that, don't you? Download the podcast, American Vigilante. Download.
American Vigilante. Out now. Now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And what was it like? The what was it like? The pastry pot was it like this? Uh, I'm always fascinated by what, like what did what was like the decor like? Was it kind of? Oh, it's dark and moody swanky. and cool and mm. yeah, and just like felt like modern but like old school at the same time. And um, I remember him just vast, um, you know, he vast. You know, because he's got like recording places and stuff, and you know, it's yeah. this for dancing and everything. You know, so he. You know, I remember we went to go um, to this area where he had his recording booth and he was first asked if I could play any instruments. <laughs> Sadly, this was before Josie and the Pussycats because I could have been able to pick up a bass then <laughs> since I practiced quite a lot right. and got that bass down. But when I went in there, I was totally a novice. And I, I remember I was like, I can't play anything. He goes, come on, everybody can play at least one instrument. I'm like, actually, no, Prince, that's not true. <laughs> and <laughs> just because you can play like 13 fluently doesn't mean everybody can yeah. play at least one. Um, so no, I can't. He goes, everyone can at least play the drums. And he like got me to at least try on the drums. And I was so bad. He was like, yeah, yeah, you really can't play. Um, so <laughs> let's just go to the recording booth. And I was, I was definitely one of the most embarrassing moments of my life was disappointing Prince with, a, why, what, you know, what I mean, he's want, got Sheila you, E, you, you know what I mean? I was like, I couldn't channel... I couldn't channel my in, my inner Sheila E. I think he was just, that was his way of trying to break the ice, you know? Um, right. And since then, I've gone to so many fun, you know, things with different musicians. And that's just really what they do. Like, mm. let's just jam, you know? It's kind of how they communicate. Yeah. It's yeah. like a different language, you know? And he was trying to see if we could right. speak that language. And it was just not happening. So we ended up doing the recording and then watching the Cosby show. Which was so what? interesting because I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was on the Cosby show. Someone had sent him a jacket or he had sent them a jacket or something. And so they had done this episode where at the end on the credits was a specific thing like talking to camera, which you didn't see very often then, you know, like not that we have FaceTime mm -hmm. now, but like suddenly just like breaking yeah. the fourth wall and going, Prince, thank you so much for this jacket. And I'm sitting next to oh him in this like private like oh space, theater space. With it. I mean, it was everything about this one kind of half day or day that I spent with him was just surreal and unusual and amazing. You know, he's so healthy, he, you know, all vegan, healthy foods and, you know, just like this amazing world, you know, he really had a royal kind of presence about him and energy. And it was the first time really kind of looking at someone who's built a successful life around them and then the kind of way that they, the environment that they create for themselves. 
Right. Um, and yes, like what yes. that looks like to really just start to take up space, you know? Um, and and just powerful. to be, to choose to be, do it away from the normal sort of LA or New York sort of mm-hmm. environments and just to have your own. I love that about so him. You I love can that. Focus. He, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. And just have his own, his own sort of fiefdom as it were. You did that really well during quarantine. I think like I really, I noticed that, you know, you really took care of yourself and, kind of went to places to nurture and like went away from the obvious spaces really early on when people started thinking about that later, like, Oh, you know, if I was going to have to be quarantined, I might as well have done this, but you got right into that space and right into nature. which I I did actually, I came straight back from London and I didn't even spend a night in New York. I went straight to the Catskills Mm -hmm. and uh, it was, it was actually, I mean, I, I really, I've really learned big lessons from, from the, from the pandemic in terms of, you know, what I feel I was missing in my life before and what Mm -hmm. I got from this past year and what I want to hopefully try and take on into the next, you know, into the next phase of whatever happens after that. But yeah, no, it was really, where where were you? You were working an awful lot, weren't you? I was, I mean, I spent the beginning of quarantine with my divorced parents, which was as intense as that that sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. <laughs> and I was just like really nervous too because I had just come from a project where several people I knew had it and I wasn't sure if I was one of those people who maybe had it but was asymptomatic having been yeah. just working actually the project I'm going back to DMZ I had been filming and we were like 900 extras a day and it was really Gosh. intense so it was like more than likely I have this so I st- I quarantined myself in my house for a month away from my parents for you know to just be careful that first yeah, month. And then yeah. after that, we were just, it was just, we were really on lockdown and then made the decision to move back to New York and to the East coast. Cause it was just like, who knows when. So I wish we had done same instinct as you and just said, you know what, immediately let's just bounce. Let's just get out of here. We've been, yeah. I had already bought property upstate. We were already talking about moving. It's just that my dad had just had his, um, his surgery. He for well, his pan- was he? Yeah. yeah. He had pancreatic cancer. So we were just like wow. waiting for him to recuperate. He was just starting to get better when we had to quarantine. So it really stopped him from being physical and going outside. And he was really nervous. So I ended right. up driving him cross country because he didn't want to fly. I then. saw that on your Instagram. Oh, I'm so <laughs> jealous of that. You had, a, you had a great RV, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love a cross country trip. I did. We just like 29 foot long. It bus 13 foot tall like it was insane driving this monster cross country um because but it was the only thing (laughs) we could get and i remember my dad being you know it was such a great experience together and him saying like i could get my flight i could get my air you know my pilot's license after this because of driving this boat (laughs) cross country and getting us there safely (laughs) it's not that much safer to drive three thousand miles than to fly in a pandemic you know so (laughs) yeah no actually yeah It's funny, actually, Rosario, talking to you about that time in your life because that was all before uh, I met you. And I sort of realised that I think about you in that sort of protective way and that's kind of, you know, back off Jeff Goldblum and, you know, making sure you were okay in that, in that sort of funny <laughs> way. But actually, you were you were quite a worldly lady before, uh, but even yeah. before that. You'd been making all these films and you'd be hanging out with Prince and all this other stuff. So you, it's interesting. I'm sort of reassessing how I... 
how I am. I mean, I guess you're only 21, but it's just a funny thing, isn't it? When you when you look back at uh, at, people's sort of the way you met people and your sort of impression of them. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's incorrect, though. Like I'm even noticing that for myself now, especially as I'm doing more work looking into like attachment theory and, um, Mm. you know, everything from nonviolent communication to, um, you know, um, emotional intelligence. Like I remember actually buying a book on emotional intelligence when I was filming in Vancouver with you all, because I was really trying to figure out some stuff because, you know, being raised by a teenage mom and in the circumstances mm. that I had done, like as much as people romanticize the Lower East Side and, you know, that time and era of 80s, 90s New York in history, it was really yeah. traumatizing as well. You know, and I knew a I lot bet. of people who yeah, didn't make it out. Tough. I mean, two people and kids are no longer with us, Harold Hunter wow. and Justin Prince, you know, and 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 it's scary. You know, it's like it was it was the crack heroin HIV AIDS epidemic. Yeah. It was housing crisis. It was, you know, child t- pregnancy. It was lack of access to education and healthcare. It was police riots, clearing out Tompkins Square Park and the yes. homeless. I mean, it was a lot, strikes, a yeah. lot of stuff. It was constant threat of eviction living in this squat. Like I remember a tank coming down 13th street and clearing out the squats across I, the street. Tank. So it was like growing. Yeah. It was like in helicopters. I mean, it was feeling like you were in a war zone, you know, and looking at was, the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes from that. Of like, course, that must be huge. You know, yeah. Huge. But was that like so, in Giuliani's time when he was doing all the, cause we maybe did all those things where he like, destroyed those gardens in East Village and everything. Yeah. And thank God for people like Bette Midler, who created an organization protecting all of those gardens and understanding that nature, as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's not just about the countries and these, you know, sort of arbitrary lines that have been created over, you know, over policy over all these years. It's nature, it's land, it's this beautiful earth that when we traverse it is really powerful when we reconnect to that and being able to have that in the concrete jungle because of people like Bette Midler, you know, and like, and having that association from a young age about activism and artistry and like, purpose and intention and people utilizing their name and their voice for, yeah. you know, for yeah. the betterment of others, you know, and like, it just, you know, and I grew up around poor you, people, so helping poor people. Done. Yeah. And like when I got now, suddenly I have a microphone in front of my face, like, because I yeah. can say words in a certain way and, and I'm, I'm comfortable in front of a camera. Um, it was just so yeah. mind blowing to me and kids as well as all of those stuff was talking about rape and HIV as well. Very yeah. heavy subject matter. Yeah. So it just, you know, I think there was a, a really interesting thing that from a very young age, I had very mature experiences yes. that gave me a lot of wisdom, but also it happened very young and it happens oftentimes in kind of traumatizing ways, which I think in some so ways stunted my growth. A- Yes, that's what I was going to say. You feel like you almost you grew up too fast, and then so did you have a phase where? Because I feel a bit like that. I feel like I, I, I when I was a little boy, I had to sort of I I had to learn about adult things too quickly, mm-hmm. and sort of suppress my little boyness in a way. Yeah. And so I think when I was in when I was in my you know adulthood, I had a phase not a phase actually it's kept going where I sort of you know embraced little boyness in a way mm-hmm. that uh or not little boyness but you know what I mean like child childhood or childlike things mm-hmm. and I suppose I actually quite like it in a funny way now I think it's leveled off I'm I was thinking about it today like I'm 56 but I still get people say oh childlike or boyish or that it's I think it's energy it's about your energy 
mm-hmm. and your curiosity rather than your physical being. And I think that's maybe yeah. the same thing you're talking about, that you've got that too. Mm-hmm. And feeling like, you know, I'm 42 now and feeling like it's wow. coming from a healthier place where it's connecting yes. to, like, I remember meeting Amma the Hugging Saint. And, you know, <gasps> it's this woman who's oh, hugged, like, millions her. of people. Yes. And- Susan Sarandon was always trying to get me to go to that hugging lady. And I just was dying yeah. to. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and also, I think there's another person. Uh, it's actually Christine Baranski. I think she goes to the hugger. And then there's another man. There was a, there was a man who came who... Um, <laughs> Who is this? Who did this thing? He just he just looked at you. He just you just stood there and he just stared at you in this Ooh. room. I went to that and she was there and it was amazing. <laughs> it sounds crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, but I know, it's, Brie, it's uh, like you know you just feel this energy. Yeah, you know this person. You think about. I I thought about her a lot actually during this whole quarantine and and how people are not touching each other and how uh, important touches and just like these people yeah. lining up to hug this woman and it really is this embrace that just feels like so nurturing. And I remember she she allowed me to sit next to her for a little while. And she was just kept this line of people hugging her and all the gifts that they, she gives that she's given, then she like blesses and then they sell them and they do all these great projects for other people and run education and health and stuff. And it's just this amazing, just cycle that is being created just from positivity. From a simple act of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember she just looked at me one time and she looked at me, she turned her head and she kind of like cocked it back like her ear and like threw her head back almost to her shoulder with just like this smile. You know how kids can do where they just weirdly almost flop their head back in a way that almost looks scary. It's so sudden. But she did it like a child. Like she just kind of threw her head back like "Mm," smile and then went back to what she was doing, like an over the shoulder kind of like. And I remember, I mean, you know, um, Immortality, Milan Kundera's book, Immortality. Mortality. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he writes the whole beginning starts off with this gesture. I think this woman named Agnes and she's an older woman and she comes out of the pool or she's leaving down the street or something. And she kind of just throws a sh- look over her shoulder and kind of waves her hand. And the whole like d- diatribe comes out of this, you know, just essay about yeah. uh, this youthful expression in, in the body of a woman that you wouldn't expect it from because she's older now. And we rob people yes. of that, that childhood when they get older, but there's, it's still in there. Totally. And like, and to like oh, have it come so from a real place where you're not traumatized and you're clinging to your youth because you were robbed of it, but that you actually mm. get back in touch with that energy, that Absolutely. awe, yeah. that gratefulness and, I do and that think presence. It's also- gratefulness and also curiosity about mm-hmm. you know an openness to the world as well and I think sense of adventure and imagination yes creativity and mischief, mischief. Yeah, no, i'm thinking about that yes. a lot because my new shows <laughs> my new um, cabaret show that i'm going to be touring is called alan Cumming is not acting his age so i'm thinking all the time right now about what does that mean and and also mm. who decides who, is yeah. there a panel somewhere of people that make up, you know, like, oh, you know, you've got to stop dancing now. And, oh, oh, your main source of uh, uh, exercise has to be golf now. It just seems like who, who I don't understand who makes these rules up. And then, yeah. we're, you know, we're sort of we're sort of forced to take them. I remember I was just because I'm reading a lot of these books again. And a lot of it started because, you know, my daughter, um, who just turned 18, um, but came to oh live with God. us when she was 11. Um, and uh, mm. I adopted her from North Carolina. And so we've done a lot of therapy together and, you know, I get these like books of homework books around, you know, relationship and communication and, 
and all this mm. kind of stuff. So Brene Brown talking around like shame and vulnerability and where that first starts. Like, cause you were saying, how does that happen? Right. And she was saying in society, mm. it's like, there's a certain point where like art and expression of art in school, like preschool and all of that kind of stuff is totally okay. And it's like, draw a horse. And if you draw it like yes. looking all crazy looking and it doesn't look anything like a horse, it's applauded and it's cheered on because you're making the effort and, you know, we're trying to yeah. push you in that space. But then you start getting graded on it. Then you start getting shame. Like, what right. is that? That doesn't look anything like a horse. Why aren't you drawing within the lines? And it's an interesting space because they talk about like across you know, at least the United States. And when you see this in education, once that grading of art starts to happen, you see a lot of kids shut off art. It's where they like got embarrassed because they weren't good at drawing or singing or dancing and someone teased them about it. And it was one of the most traumatizing moments of their lives. And then they never wanted to do it again. And it's terrible because it's one of the most human necessary experiences is to dance and to sing and to create. And you try to go through a quarantine without art. It is essential it is absolutely essential, but we treat it like it's not, and we rob people of their fullness. It's so fascinating to me. Like it was in in the in the um, uh, but, you know lockdown and the start of the pandemic. You know, artists were the first people that society turned to to make sense of it, to help raise money for people. I mean, it, it was I was very busy at the beginning. I think we all were. We're you know mm-hmm. doing little videos and doing all these things. So it was, I thought that was really fascinating that people turn to artists. But of course, arts, the arts in general, is the first thing to be cut, have its funding cut to pay for mm-hmm. uh, all the other stuff that's going on. I think it's just it was it was really stark for me that kind of um, sort of dichotomy of how people think about it. It's it's so useful. Mm-hmm. We love it and it's so important. But actually, it's, it doesn't have it, we, we don't have to pay for it. It doesn't have value in that mm-hmm. way. It's really interesting. And we don't take care of our artists and we don't take care of like, you know, that moment where you got recognized and got taken care of because your art is, you know, is, is essential, you know, is it's, 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 it's remarkable and it's appreciated and, you know, it's respected and given dignity um, and, and recognized and appreciated. And and we don't do that enough um, for, for everybody. And I hope that's something that comes from this moment is, is more appreciation. I mean, I'm optimistic too, but I just, the way you've said all those things, Rosario, and your passion in your voice has made me feel so uh, good and so optimistic and so positive. You remember it's those, been, po- you been... remember those posters and billboards? Um, you, you remember this, right? Like, I know you know this because you remember Cher was doing like, you know, don't die of embarrassment yes. because it was the HIV yes. AIDS sort of like messaging that was going out there. And, yeah. and it was yeah. all about tolerance. Everywhere that I looked, the organizations, like best thing that they could try to push was this idea of tolerating each other. This generation is accepting. Like it's yes. just a done deal. They're like, why are we even talking yeah. about this? Is that's so binary? Know, why are we even talking about that? Someone, yeah. Why tolerate someone? Like, no, I'm I'm accepting Respect myself. Them. You can die mad. Yeah, I'm not yeah. even trying to get your approval. You know, like that's the generation <laughs> yeah. we're in, and so you can see yeah. it. And so you, anytime you ever doubt, or or you know, whether it's this conversation you remember, or anytime you see any of these young people just being themselves out there unapologetically in a way that we've just never seen generationally before, you just know that things are going to get better. There's just no way it can, it can go back. Oh, Rosario. I just, I wish I could just like have you on a 
on my phone all the time, <laughs> and you could just say these things to me when I get a little moment of doubt. It's been so, it's been so lovely. I've got, I have to finish now, but I, 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 I just think I sort of started thinking I was going to talk about you know pussycat ears, and now we've got really deep and lovely, and I really genuinely have um, feel great. And uh, I, I love, I love always talking to you. But this has been, I guess, it's been a long time since we've actually sat down together and had a proper, proper chin wag and really got mm-hmm. had a deep dive. So, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is good. I'm hugging myself in your shirt. I can't wait to go to Club Coming. Thank you so much for this conversation. This was beautiful. I love oh. that you're doing this, and thank you for inviting me and and having my me darling. Thank it. you. I adore you for coming. I love you and thanks and I, I'm just it's actually I'm so proud of you it's so funny like I just I keep thinking about you as this little 21 year old kind of little thing I felt quite protective of and now look you're just this Amazon and so such a positive force in the world and it's it's just a beautiful thing to behold so you take care uh, 21 years later that's all it took no, I know baby <laughs> <laughs> alright darling right. thank you so much I love you bye love you bye Well, I hope you've enjoyed this lovely meander down memory lane with myself and Rosario. I'm going to put my pussycat ears uh, back on the shelf. And I hope you'll join me next time for another adventure on Our Incoming Shelves. Our Incoming Shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the ACAST Creator Network and the Crowd Network too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is... Unaccountable. It's a podcast fighting for police accountability in the United States. It's a podcast that tells the stories of innocent people who've been killed by the police, just like George Floyd, but also people like Mohammed Muhaimin, Shacey House and Carrie Illidge. And so many more you haven't heard about, but you really should have. The stories can be difficult to listen to, but this could be the most important podcast you'll ever hear. It's a podcast fighting for change, and we need to join that fight. Just search for Unaccountable in your podcast app now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 